So this may sound cliche to you, but I want to tell you, and then you tell me if you understand what I'm saying, okay? Busy is the new fine. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Somebody does. So, so 10 or 15 years ago, whenever somebody would come up to you and say, hey, how you doing? How, how you feeling? How, how's it going? You'd say, fine, right? Everybody's fine. Even if you're not really fine, uh, even if things are falling apart in your life, that was the word you used, right? I'm fine. I'm fine. Everybody knows that's code for don't ask me any more questions, right? I'm fine. Well, now, if you go up to, say, 10 people that you know and say, how are you doing? I bet eight of them would say, busy. I'm just so busy. Oh, good. I'm good, but busy, right? I mean, that's kind of the standard response. I'm, I'm busy. We're all busy. Working people are busy. Parents with high school kids are busy. Parents with two-year-olds are busy. Single adults are busy. Uh, 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 retired people are busy. I call my parents. How are you doing? I'm busy. What are you doing? You know, I'm busy. Everybody's busy. In fact, if, if a, a mom with a two-year-old comes up and says, we, it's just so busy right now, then the mom with a high schooler says, just wait, it gets worse. When does it get better? That's the question. We are all busy. So we look for shortcuts to make our lives easier, right? We weave in and out of traffic lanes looking for the fastest lane because that few seconds we're going to save, um, well, that's going to that's make all the time, right? We tap our fingers on the keyboard while we're waiting for that page to download because it's taking four seconds for that page to download. And while the internet is faster than it's ever been, we still don't have that kind of time to wait for the page to load. You know, you go find yourself looking for the quickest line at Walmart. And so you stand back and you go, okay, she's got 23 items and he's got six, but that cashier doesn't look like she's really on her game today. And so uh, you kind of stand in the middle of the lane, right? Like you're, you're looking for people to come and you're, you're doing the dash and you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose a lane before the next person comes. So somebody comes with the cart and they're thinking about turning. You're like, oh, I'm in line, I'm in line, right? And so you spend a lot of time looking for the fastest lane at Walmart. Let me give you a hint. There's no fast lane at Walmart. They call it express checkout. That is a lie. All right. I remember a, a few years ago, I was at the airport. It was a Monday morning and I was catching an early flight. And uh, this will kind of tell you how long ago it was. It was on Northwest Airlines. So Northwest doesn't exist anymore. It was in the old uh, Indianapolis airport. And I was in line and the guy in front of me, kind of a bigger guy, was having a hard time getting his ticket uh, to check in at the kiosk. And uh, I saw him kind of frustrated. He turned around and I realized that guy's really familiar. That's Dwight Freeney. Now, if you don't know, Dwight Freeney was the defensive end for the Colts for years and years. He uh, was a sack master. He was a, a, a huge part of the team. And I was like, oh, that's definitely Dwight Freeney. And I get up to the kiosk, and it said, thank you, D. Freeney. And I was like, oh, there's no doubt that's Dwight Freeney. And so um, it turns out, like, he was on Northwest, and I was on Northwest. And so I get checked in, and I get to the luggage claim to the, or to the um, to security line. Now, this, I'm not making this up. And right behind me in line is Dwight Freeney. And I'm like, well, that was, that's, that's so cool. He's right here. And I think he was flying to the Monday night game to do uh, some commentary or whatever. And so um, I turn around and look at him, and he kind of gives me this look, this, like, <laughs> I gave him the look like, I know who you are. And he gave me the look like, I know you know who I am. And so uh, he said, hey, man. And I said, uh, hey, you guys played a great game. They had won a big, one big the, the day before. And I said, you guys played a great game yesterday. He goes, oh, thanks. Thanks, man. And so we're standing in line, the security line's uh, pretty long, and he, he uh, taps me on the shoulder, like almost knocked me over. I mean, he just like, taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, and I'm like, me? Like, you're talking to me? Dwight Freeney's talking to me? And he, he goes, hey, uh, there's three security lines. He goes, which one of these is going to be faster, you think? 
And so then I like start doing the size up, right? Well, like that family of eight is going to Disney World, so it's not this one. You know, they're, they've never traveled before. And, and this lady has uh, three suitcases, and she's got to take her shoes off, and that's not going to go well. And so I'm looking around and seeing who has the fewest lines, and I go, I go um, this one right here is going to be the fastest. And so I start to go that way, and he goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. He goes, look over there. And he pointed, and there were uh, three TSA agents getting ready to open a new line. And so I, I, I go, you think so? And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, watch this. And he grabs his bag, and he walks right past me. And as he gets up to that checkpoint, no kidding, they go, hey, we got a new checkpoint open. And Dwight Freeney is the first in line with his roller bag. Unbelievable. It, uncanny that he could detect that. I'm like, Dwight Freeney just put the spin move on security. Like, he's, <laughs> he's going through security. And so he gets his, all his stuff up on the belt, and he turns around, and he goes, like, I told you, I knew what I was talking about. And so, like, I have this story, and I love to tell people because, and, but what I realized is that my whole relationship with Dwight Freeney now is based on how busy we are. Like, we're so busy, we're trying to find the fastest security lane. I think in our culture, being busy is a status symbol. It's like being busy proves that we are somebody, that, that we're important. You ever notice how when somebody asks you for a favor, they'll always say, hey, I know you're busy, but... It's like, it's a way of acknowledging or recognizing that you must be really, really important. So when I ask you something, I'm going to acknowledge that importance. I read an article this week from Slate Magazine, uh, and author Bridget Schultz writes writes this. She writes, the art of busyness is to convey genuine alarm at the pace of your life and a helpless resignation as if someone else is setting the clock, and yet simultaneously make it clear that you are completely on top of your game. Like, there's an art to busyness in our, our culture. Here's what I think. I think our busyness has become an idol for many of us, especially here in the suburbs, a place like Carmel, a place like Hamilton County. Now, an idol is anything we allow other than God you know, to call the shots or set the direction of our lives. And for many of us, busyness has become an idol. Now, whether you agree with that statement or not, the truth is we're always looking for more time. We're always trying to make room for life, and we always think, if only I had more time. But here's what, here's what I mean by this, though. There are three universal truths about your time. These are not in your notes, but if you want to write these down, these might be helpful uh, for you in the future. Uh, these are true for everyone. Okay, number one is this. Our time is limited. You know, for each and every one of us, we all get 24 hours in a day. We all get seven days in a week. And all of us, our life is limited. You know, Psalm 139 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book, even before the first one began. Our time is limited. And we, there's nothing that we can do about that. Number two is this, we will spend all of our time doing something. You know, when we get to the end of our lives, we're going to look back and all of the time that we've had will have been spent on something. Sleeping, working, driving, eating, mowing, cleaning, sitting in church, watching TV, all of it. At the end of our days, all of our time will have been spent. It'll be gone. The third truth is this, and this is the one that we sometimes miss. Someone will determine how we spend all of our time. That's the part that so many of us miss. If we're not incessantly intentional about how we spend our time, then what happens is we end up letting someone else decide how we're going to spend it. So let me just give you an example. Many of you have seen this example before. If you're a Gen Kids teacher, you've probably seen it in the last few weeks because we uh, did something like this in Gen Kids a few weeks ago. Let's just say that these uh, orange balls, these golf balls, are the really important things in our lives, okay? Things like marriage and family and our health and you know, our sleep and our education, you know, maybe we're looking for something else uh, to, to learn something else. These are the really important things in life, okay? 
And let's just say that these grains of rice right here in this jar represent the urgent things in life. Do you guys know the difference between urgent and important? Has anybody ever told you that? Urgent are the things that really need to get done now, and important are the, are the, thing, are the things that you need to do the most, right? So the important are the things that matter to you the most in the long run, but they're often not urgent. The urgent things are things that are time-sensitive. They've got to get done now, but a lot of times they're not very important, right? And so here's what happens to many of us. We the alarm clock goes off in the morning, and we start living our life, right? We hit the snooze button a couple times, and then we get up, and we start making breakfast for the kids, and then we uh, grab a little something for ourselves, and then we, um, you know, get the kids ready for school, and we get ready for work. We take a shower. Uh, we get everybody dressed. We get the kids out the door, and then we get in the car, and we fly to work, and we stop and get coffee on the way because we didn't have time to make it at home, and then we pull into the office with, like, two minutes remaining where we immediately start checking emails from other people who wants something from us, right? And then we sit down at our desk and we're immediately interrupted by someone coming into the office, poking their head in or, or calling us up because they just have one quick question that we need to address, like, and, and it's our problem. And then we go to meetings that other people schedule. And we get to the end of the day, we look at our watch and we realize it's 5.15 and we haven't gotten any work done today, but we've got to get home and make dinner because Bobby has soccer practice and Lucy has lacrosse and they're 15 minutes apart and we've got to get home. So we get home, we grab the kids, we grab their homework, we grab all their sports gear, we throw it in the car and then we uh, drive to practice and we drive Bobby first because his starts 15 minutes early and then we stop at the drive-thru and we pick up something for dinner because we didn't have time to make anything. And then we go back and we grab the kids, we get them home, we get their homework done, we prepare them for bed, we put them in bed and then finally at 9 or 9.30 we start doing the work that we should have done during work that day but we didn't have time because we were so busy working on everybody else's stuff. And then we think about, when am I going to find time to work on my marriage? And when am I going to find time you know, for my health? And when am I going to find time to uh, take that class that I need to take to get ahead at work? And when am I going to find time to um, work on my relationship with my kids and my relationship with my parents? And, and uh, when am I going to find time to you know, do my financial planning and budgeting and, and plan for retirement? And then we realize that like, the jar is not big enough. Not everything is going to fit in the jar. And then we realize that we've got this other thing that, that for many of us, if we're Christians, is the most important thing, and that's our relationship with God. And a lot of times that comes last, and, and we just realize we can't fit it all in. We, we need a bigger jar. But what if the answer isn't a bigger jar? We've already said we can't get a bigger jar, right? We can't, we can't, our time is limited. We, we can't make this any bigger. So what if the answer is not about getting a bigger jar? But what if the answer is about how we set our priorities? What if what we really need to do is to be intentional about how we spend our time? And so today, as we start this series, Making Room for Life, the series is all about these big things that don't always fit in the jar, okay? And and most of all, I want to make this series about what, for many of us, should be our number one priority. For most of us, it's our relationship with God. Now, the important things so often get left out just because we're so busy with the urgent that we don't have time to put the important in. You know, so the the busyness, the grains of rice, the urgent things go in the jar first. When we do that, there's not enough room for all the important stuff. But when we get this right, if you've seen this illustration before, you know how it works. The easiest way to get this right is what? You put the big things in the jar first. When we do it right, we see everything else has room to fit. See, the other truth about our time is this. We can't make more time. A lot of times people will tell you, um, you know, if you need to get something done, well, you just need to make time for that. You can't make time. You cannot manufacture. You can't generate time. You have to take time. 
right? You have to grab it. If you think about that, that, uh, that imagery, you can't make it, you can't manufacture it, you have to take it. You have to grab it from other things. And so today I want to challenge you about the priorities in your life. And most importantly, I want to talk about this one. If you're a Christian, what should be your most important priority? It's your relationship with God. What I hope you'll see uh, when, when you do this, when you're able to put God in the jar first, that everything else kind of finds its place. And so this is all about uh, spending the taking the time and doing those things that you set in your heart as the most important, and that will set the direction of recognizing God in your life and with each day, uh, in, in each day, and the difference that that can make for your life. See, because this, this life that you're living, if you're living that busy life, I mean, if, it, if you, you think, man, he's been reading my mail, like that was what my life is like. And maybe for you, it's not little kids, maybe it's bigger kids, or maybe it's something else that's occupying your time. But if you think, you're right, I just don't ever have any time, um, that life is not the life that Jesus has laid out for us. In fact, if you look in your Bibles in John 10, 10, Jesus said it this way. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants us to have a full life, but not a life that's full of trivial tasks and urgent things, but a life that's full of life. You know, Jesus said an abundant life. Some translations say an abundant life. And so Jesus was fully God, but also fully human. And so by studying his life, when he walked the earth as a human, we can learn not only how to find our way back to God, which is so important to us here at Genesis Church, but also how to make room for life in this crazy, busy world of ours. And so the scripture we're going to look at today is from uh, Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you might turn them there. Uh, The scriptures will be on the side screens. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you somewhere that kind of looks like this. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. That's yours to take home with you. But Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Uh, from the, you know, Jesus is the most written about person in the history of the world. Uh, we know, if we do the study, we know more about Jesus than we know about anyone else who's ever lived. But from the time Jesus was born, we know that story, till the time he was baptized and when he was 30 and started his public ministry, we only have one story recorded about the life of Jesus, and it's here in Luke chapter 2. It starts this, Luke 2.41 is where we'll start. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, so Jesus is 12, all right, he he went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, uh, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but the parents were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem uh, to look for him. So, so Jesus and his parents have been to this big religious festival in Jerusalem. They're heading back home. Now, when families would travel to these big festivals in Jerusalem, they'd off, often go in large groups, groups of 100 or more, extended families. So you've got uh, parents and their kids, and then brothers and sisters and their kids, cousins, uh, sons, daughters, uh, the whole family. It could be hundreds, dozens, or hundreds of people together. And so you might think, well, that's pretty crazy. They only had one kid, and they couldn't even keep track of him, you know, but that, that's not the truth. Uh, it's like the other day I was walking my kids to the bus stop, and I realized the neighbor's three kids joined us, and then the neighbors from a couple doors down joined us, and then by the time I got to the bus stop, I realized we had a train of about 12 kids following us, and I thought, well, I could see how Jesus' parents could lose him, you know, because if one of our kids had decided to go home and get her lunchbox, uh, we wouldn't have even noticed, you know, and so if you've got a group of 100, um, they probably thought they were back with the cousins, you know, playing or whatever, but, but he's not there, and they finally realize he's missing, and they they turn around uh, to go try to find him. They look for him for three days. The parents look for uh, Jesus for three days back along the path and then finally realize their, their searching leads them all the way back to Jerusalem. So verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, 
sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, how would you react if you lost your son? And you come back and you find him sitting in the temple courts calmly. I mean, you probably know this. Maybe you've lost a child at some point in a shopping mall or, or somewhere. And, and the first thing you think is, is some relief, right? Oh, I'm so glad they're okay. Maybe some joy about finding them. But then quickly some guilt. Like, like how could I have let this happen? You probably feel that. And then finally, maybe even a little anger. Like, how could you do this? Don't ever let that happen again. Well, when his parents saw him, verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished, first of all, to find him there. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then look how Jesus responds. His answer is so good, and it's so key to what we're talking about. Verse 49, he says, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This story is so important. And Jesus' answer is so telling because what he's saying is uh, it's all about how he's going to live his life. He's giving us an indication even at this point, this is how he's going to give up his life. He's making a huge statement about this is going to be the most important priority in my life is I'm going to spend time in my father's house. Jesus is 12 years old and already at 12, he's proclaiming, you know, my relationship with God is the most important thing. You know, students, kids, If you're 12 years old, if you're younger than that, you can make a decision now to set the course for your life. Even if your home isn't everything you wish it were, even if your friends are making bad choices all around you, even in the midst of the hard stuff that happens all around you, you can make the decision. Set the course for your life and say, you know what? The work of God in my life is going to be the most important thing. And adults, you can make that decision too, just like Jesus did. See, everybody comes to Jerusalem for this big religious celebration. They call it Passover. Happened every year. People came from all over, and there, was these, there were these rituals and sacrifices and festive meals, and when it was over, they all went home, but not Jesus. And just because the party was over didn't mean it was time for him to go home. Now, he's at the temple. You know, during this time, if you think about it, the temple was the closest place you could go uh, to be uh, with God, and so he's there. He's growing in his faith. He's listening to the teachers. It says he was listening. He was asking questions. He was really trying to learn. Um, he's answering questions himself. We see that people were astonished at his teaching. He's growing in his relationship with God. That's what he's doing. Even at 12 years old, he's trying to grow in his relationship with God. Now, here's what's interesting. The first recorded words of Jesus we have are about the necessity he felt to be close to his father, to be in his father's house. Even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus is making room for life. He wasn't in a hurry to get home. He's establishing the purpose and the meaning in his life. He's letting us see what would be his most important priority. And from this moment forward throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus doing that lots of times, the same kind of thing. He's living this out even as he's becoming a man and he begins his ministry. Luke 4.16, for instance, says this. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And so the writer Luke knows that Jesus every week was going into the synagogue to worship. Mark one thirty five said, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus, who's fully man and fully God, takes time to be with his Father in the morning. Matthew 14, uh, 23 says, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. It's clear to see when we read Scripture that the relationship with God was the number one priority in Jesus' life. And before you say there was a different time back then and Jesus wasn't busy, I mean, think about all the times that Jesus had people clamoring for him. Like he walked through the streets and hundreds of thousands of people vying for his attention. I mean, read through the Gospels. 
And what you see is a man who's walking from city to city, from town to town, and he's got people trying to get close to him. They all want something from him. He's, he's healing people. He's, he's performing miracles. He's teaching crowds. He's fleeing from his enemies. There's so many demands on Jesus and on his time, and yet we get this glimpse of what's most important to him. His relationship with God came first. So what does this have to do with you and me and making room for life? Well, it's as simple as this. To have an abundant life, this is in your notes if you want to write it down. To have an abundant life, the full kind of life that Jesus wants you to have, you need to do everything you can do to, number one, put God first. That's a very churchy thing to say. It's something you would expect when you come here. But the truth is, your relationship with God should be your biggest priority. If you're a Christian, it's the most important relationship you have. If you're not a Christian, it's the most important relationship that you're missing. You know, when Christianity is working right, it's not about a religion. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's a real person. You can talk to him. You can have a real relationship with him. I talked to him this morning before I came out here. Uh, Believe it or not, this relationship is more important than your marriage. It's more important than how you raise your kids. It's more important than the final year of college or the final year of high school or the big project that you've got going on at work. What happens is, as we make our relationship with God our biggest priority, our most important priority, everything else tends to fit into its proper place. So what do we have to do uh, to grow this relationship, to keep this relationship healthy? Well, it's like all of our relationships. We have to work at them. We've, We've got to take time to make it a priority. So how do we do that? Well, the second thing is this. You need to set an appointment. We've talked about this before, to set an appointment, to uh, take time to invest in this most important relationship. You know, we say that if you don't have an appointment uh, with God, that you will let it slip on the calendar. You will let it wait until it's the last thing to go in the jar. But if you set that appointment, if you put it literally on your calendar, on your phone or on your computer, and you take that time, Uh, to make your relationship with God the most important thing, well, it's the first thing in the jar. There's a story in the Chicago Tribune a while back about a guy by the name of Robert Highland. Uh, Highland was the vice president for CBS television, uh, general manager of KMOX in St. Louis. The Wall Street Journal called him the nation's most notorious workaholic. Here was his schedule. Um, Six days a week, Highland got up uh, in the morning at 1 a.m. so that he could be in the office by 2 a.m. He then worked straight through the day until 6 p.m., six days a week, 96 hours a week. Other than stay-at-home moms, I don't know anybody who works that kind of schedule. You know, six hours a week, or six, six days a week, 16 hours a day, 96 hours a week. Now, what's even more interesting, though, is how Highland scheduled his time. For starters, he left the office every evening at 6 p.m., and the next thing he did was he went to a nearby church where he prayed for an hour every day. And he did this every day. And then the next thing he did was he went home by 7 to have dinner with his wife every night. That was a priority for him. He was going to spend time with God and then spend time with his wife. Every seventh day, he didn't work at all. He took the entire day off, absolutely no work. Now, here's the point. I'm not suggesting there's anything healthy about a 96-hour work week, no matter how you handle it. But the point is this. We're all busy. All of us have things that we need to do. And when you add up the demands of work and children and responsibilities and unexpected things that come up, there are a lot of us that come pretty close to 96 hours a week. And if a guy like Robert Highland can take time for God, well, then we can too. Again, if you're not doing this already, I challenge you. We've been challenging you this year to take time every day to make your relationship with God a priority, even if it's 15 minutes. 
you're getting started. You know, it's like, it's like going to the gym. If you, you decide you're going to run a marathon this fall or a half marathon, or you decide, you know, I want to be able to bench press 200 pounds, you don't just go to the gym and put 200 pounds on the bar and see how high you can lift it, right? You start small. If you do that, you'll hurt yourself. If you decide, I'm going to go an hour, I'm going to spend an hour every day, first hour every day with God, well, the first time you fail, you're going to feel like a failure, and you're going to stop. But if you say, you know, even I can make room for 15 minutes a day. If you can't do it seven days a week, um, do it six. If you come to church, I'll give you a pass that day, all right? You six days a week, spend time with God, uh, come to church on Sundays, you're here, you're spending time with God and with other believers, you know, but uh, many people believe the best time to do this is right when you get up. For me, I don't believe that. It's not the best time for me. There are some people that are not morning people, and they go, you know what? Um, I can't spend time with God first thing in the morning, so it really doesn't count. Well, the Bible tells us that Peter went up on the roof at noon and prayed. Uh, There are times at night we see in Scripture where people are spending time with God at night. It's okay. I do it usually in the evening. For me, it's either right after dinner or right after the kids go to bed. Now, some people do it at their lunch break. I'll give you a couple things to do with that time, okay? So if you're going to spend time with God, let me, let me tell you a couple things to do. Number one is this. Obviously, we, we want you to be in your Bible. We want you to be reading Scripture. Um, find a Bible reading plan, or uh, even if you go to Version, if you have a, uh, an iPad or an iPhone or uh, an Android phone, there's a, a Bible app called Version that has the entire Bible and several different uh, translations on your phone or on your iPad, and you can find all kinds of Bible reading plans. Or if you just pull it up, you just pull up the app right now, what you'll see is there is a verse of the day. You know, even if you just spend 15 minutes on one verse, the Bible is God's word. Scripture promises it will never return void. It will never return empty. And so if you just take 15 minutes to read his word and let him speak to you, grab a notebook or a a tablet or whatever you like to take notes on and use a study technique that I found to be very helpful. It's called the SOAP method. SOAP, S-O-A-P. It's easy to remember. SOAP, S uh, for scripture, O, observation, A, application, P, prayer. We'll go through that. Let me demonstrate how it works, okay? So um, I'm going to use a verse. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, one that I've been studying on this week, 2, 8, and 9 says this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that's the scripture. So say you read that scripture. Well, the first thing you do is S, scripture. So you write that scripture down. You know, if you've got a notebook, you write it in your notebook. If you have an iPad or a tablet or whatever, you write it on your notepad. I'm going to write the scripture down. That's S, all right? O is this. O is observation. What does that scripture say? My, here's my observation about it. You know, Oh, it, it's grace that saves me, not works. I, I can't work for God's grace. I, 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 I can't earn God's grace that he gives it to me. It's a gift. There's nothing I can do to make him love me any more than he already loves me. That's, oh, that's the observation. That's what that text says to me. So you write that down. You're writing that down. All right? The next is A, application, S-O-A. How do, the application is how does this change my day? You know, what does this mean for my life right now? If I hear that now, how does that affect what I'm going through? So I know that um, it's not through works that I can be saved. It's by grace. And so I might say, you know what? I've been working so hard to try to earn God's favor, and I, I need to stop doing that. I just need to start resting on the, the promise that he gives me, that his grace is enough for me. And you're writing that down. You know, that you're, you're writing that down. And then finally is P. It leads you to a time of prayer. So you, you write the scripture down, and then you write this observation that you have about it. And then the application, how does it apply to my life? And the last thing is prayer. And I always like to write my prayer down. You know, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago in the Circle Maker, the first week of that. I challenge you to start writing your prayers down. I started doing that and realized that it's very helpful for me to go back and look at my prayers and see what I've been praying and see how faithful God has been at answering those. And so, uh, the, the, so we want you to spend time in scripture. The second thing is this, is make time to pray. 
You know, we, we talked about that during the Circle Maker. We do it as part of our scripture reading. It can be a natural flow from your Bible right into prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. So I'm having this conversation. And when it's working best, it's a two-way conversation. If you are not in prayer right now and you just start, I'm going to tell you it's going to feel like a one-way conversation for a while. You're going to be talking, and you might listen, but you're not going to hear anything. But, but after you start talking for a while, you'll start hearing God. You know, you could talk about what's on your mind. Thank him for how he's providing for you. Tell him uh, what you're afraid of. Tell him what you need. Pray for the people around you. And then you, you can say amen at the end. That's great. But it but doesn't have to end there. You can lift up little prayers all day long. Make that a part of your walk with God. You know, I, I've got a hunch that most of us make no time for this. And, and we're struggling to find our way because of it. You know, If you look at the life of Jesus, though, where was he? Well, he was always with his father. He was always sneaking out. He was going away to make time to be with his father. He's praying. He was, his time spent with his father was the most important. So you set an appointment. Uh, set an appointment and make, uh, take 15 minutes with God each morning, each afternoon, each evening, whenever it works best for you. The third thing you can do is this. Celebrate with your church. Celebrate with your church. It's not a coincidence that Sunday is the first day of the week on our calendar. It, it marks a starting point for us. Now, I'm not saying that Sunday is any holier than any other day of the week. I'm not saying that Sunday is the only time you can go to church. We know people go Saturday night or Sunday night or Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever it is. You know, but, but, but for us as a church family, it's the one time when we can all come together and we can celebrate the one who makes all the difference. You know, there's some research done recently on church attendance that shows that people who considered themselves a regular attender of a church averaged 1.7 times per week, or per, per month, 1.7 times a month going to church. That's a regular attender. Well, think about Jesus. I mean, he made it a priority to gather with others and to connect with God. If he can do it, we can do it. You know, we weren't made to go through life alone, especially if we're a follower of Christ. The scripture says that Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. There's so much for you to gain as an individual. And there's so much for our community to gain when you come together and celebrate with us. There's so much for the new people that are coming that they can learn from you. And we're here to celebrate the good that God is doing in us and the things that he's doing all around us. And so here's my challenge for you as you think about how you spend your time, especially as we roll into this next school year. We know for a lot of you, school starts this coming week. I want to challenge you to make celebration services at Genesis a priority. Maybe accept this challenge that I'm going to be at Genesis for the next four weeks throughout this series and, and see if that makes a difference in my life. While we're talking about priorities, I love, uh, Cameron and I talked about this in the last few weeks. I, we'd love for you to make it a priority to be here on time. Uh, if you're, hey, if you're a guest or visitor, if you're not a follower of Christ, just check out for a second, okay? But, but church family, can, I talk, can we talk? Uh, our services are at 9.30 and 11.15. 9.30 and 11.15. Okay, it's not, we don't have a 7 a.m. service. You can get here at 9.30. And now, here's the thing. We try to stick to 65 or 70 minutes every week. And that means that everything we do is important because we're trying to cram a lot into that 65 or 70 minutes. And so if, if you could be here on time, it would help us out. A lot of times we think about, well, can we show this video at the beginning of service? Well, nobody's going to be in there to see it or, you know, whatever. So we always end up doing a song. But that means that the band has worked on a song all week that eight people are going to hear. And that's not fair. It's not fair to them, but it's also not fair to you because it means you miss. If you're not here on time, you miss something important that's happening in this room. We want to make it a priority that what happens in this room is important. And so I know you want to get your bagel and coffee. Our cafe opens at 9 o'clock. I know you got to get your kids checked into Gen Kids. Our, our volunteers are always there by 9.15. They're there all between services. And so if you could make it a priority to get into this room um, 
on time before the service starts. We have a, we have a, that's why we put a TV out. You may not know this. That's why we put a TV out in the cafe so that you could see the countdown timer. We could turn it off after the countdown timer. It would have served its purpose. But when you're out there, you can see how much time we've got before the service starts. It's so important to us. It means a lot to us when you're here and you're here on time. Attend worship every week. Read and pray 15 minutes each, a day each week. Uh, those things are so important. But ultimately, here's what God wants to do with our relationship with him. He will do this with, in time if we let him in, and it's this. He wants us to surrender every moment to God. He, he doesn't want your hour or two on Sunday. He doesn't just want your 15 minutes to start your day. The key to making room for life is this. It's allowing God to have control over the other 23 hours and 45 minutes every day. You know, that's a full life. That's a life of meaning and a life of significance. That's where we discover joy and fully live our lives for him. You know, C.S. Lewis, an author who, who came to faith later in life after a long personal search, uh, Lewis says, Christ, gave, Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. That is why the real problem of the Christian life comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All of your hopes and fears for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And then he adds the part that many of us miss and know nothing about but need to, and so, and so on, all day. Dallas Willard, <clears throat> who's another uh, uh, pastor and, and professor and theologian, says uh, when, he, when he was asked how we can best deal with the pressures of our modern life, he said this. I love this quote. He said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Making my relationship with him the most important, spending time with him each day and on Sundays, committing to every moment, committing every moment of my day uh, to him. And then here's what happens. Here's what happens as you start spending time with him. If you start spending time in your Bible, you start spending time in prayers, uh, the last thing happens, and it's this. I remember how God feels about me. Psalm 139 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. And so maybe you're here today and you're not sure why you're here. Or, or, or maybe you've been coming for a while, you don't really feel all that close to God. Maybe you don't understand all the fuss, like, like why are all these people here? Why do, they, why do these people lift up their hands when they sing? That's so weird. Why, why do they uh, come and sing these songs? Don't they, don't they know that's strange? That's unusual? That's weird? It's, it's because we're not singing for you. you know, we're singing to a God that has so many good thoughts about us that we can't even count them. It's because of that verse I showed you a few minutes ago, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's, it's his grace that saved me. He, he loves me because he loves me. He loves me so much he gave up his only son for me. Jesus came to earth and demonstrated the way we should, we should live, and then he gave up his own life. His death satisfied the penalty for my sin. I'm saved today not because of anything that I've done or what I can do, but because of what Christ did for me. I can't possibly deal with the busyness of life on my own. I have to take time to rest in the presence of my Savior. I need him as my Savior. And even if you don't understand it, you need him too. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we love you and we thank you for that truth. And we look around our lives and we see so many things vying for our attention. So many bright and shiny objects, so many... Uh, just screaming people in our ears, just trying to get at what the little bit of time that we have. And God, we know that we recognize your voice as that still small voice that's calling to us from a distance and saying, hey, this is important. 
This is important. And so many times we think, well, I'll make time for that, but I've got to get this stuff done first. And Lord, I just pray this week that you would help us to see the importance of putting the critical things first and even letting the urgent fall away. God, would you help us this week to make a relationship with you our priority? Would you help us to see that when we take time to put the important things first, God, that the urgent things just kind of fall away. They fall into place. They all fit. It all fits. Lord, would you help draw our attention away from the things of this world to the things that you have for us? And we trust that as we do that, that you will go greater and greater in our lives, that you will, we will see what it means to have an abundant life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.